Welcome to Box Talk, a podcast for affiliates and coaches, powered by Box Pro Magazine. On the West Coast, Juliet Storette and San Francisco CrossFit are trying to weather the coronavirus storm. So far, they've done well. With a hefty cash reserve, a variety of Zoom classes, one-on-one virtual coaching, and more, the gym is offering members value. But starting April 8th, they shifted to make the default that of pausing memberships. Members can pay if they want to, but with the hard economic times, Juliet said charging members for membership automatically just didn't feel right. As such, they've seen a 75% decrease in revenue. However, they've continued to push on, serving members and keeping their coaches fully paid. All in all, COVID-19's impact is real, and Juliet has some advice that is quite solid, whether it's to be authentic in your communication or to seriously consider if your gym could go through a second shutdown, it's all advice to consider. So take your words to heart as you listen to this interview with Juliet. Well, welcome to this episode of Box Talk. I'm your host, Heather Hartman, editor of Box Pro Magazine, and I am here with Juliet Starrett. Juliet, we've had her on the podcast before, and she is back. Uh, she is the owner or co-owner of San Francisco CrossFit. Juliet, it's great to have you today. Thanks for having me, Heather. Always a pleasure to talk to you over all these years. It's it's great. Unfortunately, we're talking at a time of a pandemic, which we probably never expected to be doing. So, of course, (laughs) that is what this podcast is going to be about. We're going to talk about COVID-19 and what Juliet and her gym and everything else are going through right now. So, Juliet, can you just kind of give us an overview? Where is San Francisco CrossFit at right now? Uh, What are you guys doing? How are you serving your members uh, while you are in quarantine? Sure. So we were acquired by the state of California to close uh, pretty early on March. I think it was March 16th or 17th. Um, We fortunately saw the writing on the wall um, about a week beforehand. You know, I think we like many gym owners and businesses and people lived in denial for a couple of weeks when um, we thought, no, there's no way this is going to happen. But at least a week beforehand, um, for me, the writing was on the wall that a closure was about to happen. And so I immediately actually started working with my gym manager and preparing for the worst, which was the gym being closed um, and figuring out how we would both communicate and respond to that reality, uh, both to our members and to our staff and really trying to understand the lay of the land in terms of sick leave and, you know, um, what our financial situation was and plan as much as we could. Uh, You know, my goal was to try to take on as much of a leadership role as I could both for our members and for our staff and just try to do the right thing and be ready to communicate. So when we, um, like everybody, we set up a dog and pony show of virtual classes. Um, We immediately were ready with an equipment lending program for our members. So we had all that just kind of sitting in the wings by 48 hours before we closed. So we got the official word and were able to send a message to our members within 10 minutes of the official word. And we actually that night set up the equipment rental program because we were required to be closed the following day. So we only had like a six hour window to get our equipment rented. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just really tried to be prepared and ready and be ready to communicate with our members um, and be ready to be nimble and flexible. Obviously we had to make changes to our website and, get a big, huge, beefy Zoom account and uh, get our staff on board with, you know, leading Zoom classes, right, which is so opposed to what they normally do, right? I mean, 
like just they, they've all been so comical laughing about how they're getting in such good shape because they're actually doing the workout with the um, <laughs> members on the Zoom classes. Whereas, you know, normally in a CrossFit gym, the coach is standing around and walking around and coaching and talking. And, you know, obviously there's like a limited amount of physical activity in that. But, you know, they're, they've been really funny about it. But, yeah, I mean, my, um, you know, I think even though we were ready for it, it still came as a shock. I think the first few weeks were for me, the most stressful, my heart rate was like 125, 24 hours a day. Mm. Um, partly because, and, and I mentioned this briefly on our little pre-call, but you know, I really am a controlling person. Um, and, and I am a planner as well. And that obviously has inured to my benefit as a business owner in a myriad of ways, but makes it really difficult for me to manage a situation that is literally 100% out of my control. So I approached it with a control what I can control situ you know scenario, which was I want to have really clear and honest open communication with my membership, clear and honest open communication with my staff. Um, I want to try to continue to create value for my members during this time, even for the ones who aren't paying anything because they can't, um, just to sort of continue to create some level of a community. However, we could we 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 do these biweekly happy hours with our members um, that you know we we created a separate and new private Facebook group where people can connect and communicate. So, you know, I was really on a mission to control what I can control. On top of that, I really took great care to become like a mini expert on all the CARES Act provisions, as you and I talked about before, um, mm -hmm. sort of what was available to me as a business owner in terms of support from the government. I really wanted to understand what my obligations were to provide additional sick leave and sick pay to my, my staff and so forth. And then I have spent way more time than I would ever care to with my accountant uh, doing a lot of projections, <laughs> which are changing at all times. Now, what I will say, and uh, one of the things I will prop myself for and that I'm very proud of is we have been able over the years of 50, being in 15 years of business to have at least three months of a cash reserve runway, which I know for a small business is highly unusual. Um, and so for me, it's been uh, trying to strike this balance between making sure I support my staff, um, trying not to furlough them and send them off into the unemployment quagmire, which we have not done yet and are hoping to not do, um, and simultaneously negotiating with my landlord to try to get rent deferrals mm -hmm. or, um, and, you know, figuring out what bills I can pause and not pay, limiting my expenses, you know, doing as many types of doomsday you know, financial planning as I can, I, you know, I will say that I'm, you know, so I, I will say I've managed this by trying to be super honest and clear in my communication and control what I can control and know what I can know. And then, then also just trying to let go of what I can't control. You know, the things I can't control are when we reopen, how we reopen, um, whether we will have to close again in the future, you know, whether this will be something we have to face again in this year. Um, I can't, you know, I can't at this point control how much money we have in a cash reserve. That's a fixed number, right? So we can use that until it's gone and then we don't have that, right? Um, and then I think the final thing, and I'm not even sure that I answered your question in this rambling response, but <laughs> I, of course, applied for the PPP loan, which now is so commonly said that everybody should know what it is. Um, and I have been uh, very unsuccessful so far. My bank is Wells Fargo. Um, I got really suspicious about how they were managing it pretty early on in the process. 
um, when I became aware that some people I knew were got a loan like within 48 hours of their application and Wells Fargo was sending me messages saying we're, we're processing these loans on a first come first serve basis. But I knew several people who applied long after I did and got their loans funded. So I knew Wells Fargo's sort of public statement was inaccurate. And, and then now I think we've all seen that the banks have been up to a bunch of shady stuff. Um, there are a bunch of big businesses who've gotten access to the funds and really they haven't been used as intended, which is for small businesses. So I definitely mm -hmm. am on the disappointment train right now um, because we did not get a PPP. Now, of course, the Congress did just pass another big bill and I do continue to get messages from my bank, Wells Fargo, that um, I'm in the queue. Um, but again, <laughs> You know, beyond knowing that I'm in the queue, I have, again, back to the loss of control, no idea whether I will get that loan. So, uh, you know, again, I'm sort of in this place where I'm hoping to get a loan. If I do, it will be sort of a game changer in terms of how long we can actually weather a closure. Um, you know, again, I said we have three months of cash reserve, so anyone can do the math, right? Like that's uh, until June 15th, we can basically kind of run and pay our staff. And then we've run out of money at some point. Um, mm -hmm. If we get a PPP loan, then that's, you know, it's a very different, we have a very different runway, right? We have the PPP loan, which is eight weeks along with our runway, which gives us a lot more leeway to, to, you know, reopen at some point. So the other final thing I've been doing, and this may just because I be because I'm crazy, but man, do I contact my um, state, local, and federal representatives on a nearly daily basis to the point where I'm pretty sure they all know my name and know um, who I am and what my business is. <laughs> um, and the reason I've done that is, you know, for twofold. First of all, I, I very publicly shared that our landlord, which happens to be the United States of America, um, was very slow to respond to this and very slow to offer anything in resembling a rent deferral. And uh, in my view, had done a terrible job sort of managing their tenants um, in, in, you know, we, our gym is basically in a national park. So um, I, of course, called, emailed, um, you name it, uh, tagged in social media, all of my Congress people, state and federal and my mayor and you know, I've been looping all these people in and I did the same when I when it became obvious to me that Wells Fargo was doing shady stuff with the PPP. Now, will that make a difference? I have no idea. But again, on my personal mission to control what I can control, um, there are people making decisions out there. And man, if I'm if I can get their ear a little bit and let them know what it's really like as a small business owner, like great. So that was a really long and winding answer, Heather, to your question. But that's where that's where I'm at. That's what I'm trying to do right now. <laughs> well, podcasts were built for long and winding answers. So I think you did perfectly, Juliet. So thank you for thank that. Thank you, Heather. Thank yes. you. Um, but seriously, man, just some crappy stuff, a crappy situation. And I'm not alone. Yeah. I am not no, alone. No, you're not. No. And hopefully, hopefully anyone listening who's maybe been experienced the same thing can be like, you're, oh, I'm not alone either. So hopefully that will even encourage some people. But I, I think you're right, Julia. Like we are only 
responsible for what we can do, what we can control. And so even though you said, I don't know if, you know, my actions and contacting my reps will do anything, that's something you can do. It is. And I, I applaud you for taking what you can control and what you can do and just doing it, um, despite knowing if it's going to leave an impact or not. So I think, I think that's how we have to deal with COVID-19, honestly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would so, like to add one, just one, before you ask the next question, one um, data piece is, I'm pretty sure only 8% of people who applied for the PPP actually got it. Um, mm. Just to give you, you know, and again, I don't know that that is a perfect statistic, but um, that certainly made me feel a little better. <laughs> That's ridiculous, but yep. I'm glad it made yep. you feel better. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's not talk about depressing things. <laughs> no. Uh, but I, yeah, that's, oh man, that's crazy. So, but, but on, before, you know, beyond that, beyond the government, um, let's talk about what you guys are doing. It sounds like you have a lot of things going on. It sounds like you're really trying to give your members value. Um, even your coaches. I love that you said it's been a little comical, you know, them actually doing workouts and getting fit now. Um, <laughs> But I love that. So can you maybe kind of talk uh, about some things you've learned that have worked well in giving your members value and, you know, keeping that membership and even your coaches um, happy and, and engaged at this time? Maybe some things you guys have realized over the past, you know, I think it's been like six weeks now, maybe. Yep. Yep. Six weeks. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, yes. Yeah. So as I said, we set up a library of virtual classes. So we do. Um, a body weight class every day, a minimal equipment class, which it can be done with literally a single heavy implement because that's what we loaned out to people. We just let everyone take one thing so that we could get as much equipment out. So most of our members have one thing um, and maybe they've ordered something else, you know, on Amazon, but apparently there's a run on kettlebells and dumbbells and, and, and along with toilet paper. But yes, um, there are. I know I've had people try to order them and they cannot. No, they can't do it. So we we offer a functional bodybuilding class, a kids class. We have a thriving adaptive athletes program at our gym. So we do a, a couple of adaptive athletes classes a week. And then we also have a master's program of which my mom is a um, dedicated member. So we do a master's class every day. So we're basically, um, you know, offering a variety of virtual classes online and those are all recorded and we created a landing page on our site so that if people can't attend at the time, they can tune in later to the classes. We, of course, are pu uh, pu uh, pushing virtual one-on-one -on -one coaching with our coaches, and that's actually been pretty decently successful. Um, I mean, I will say, and I don't, I, I'm going to have to weave in some depressing information to this, I, our, our overall revenue is down about mm -hmm. 75%. Um, mm -hmm. Most of our members kept their memberships alive through the end of March. Um, and in fact, through the end of, through April 8th, when the closure was originally supposed to end here in California. But um, after that, we decided as a company that our default should be to pause people's memberships and give people the option to keep either a full price or half price membership going during this time, wow. depending on their ability to afford it. So, um, so we had a lot of generous members, you know, continue to pay their membership for three weeks. And then we we did switch to a default um, where the default is not paying. We felt like even though we were able to add a fair amount of value to them with virtual coaching, it's just not the same at all. Um, or not virtual coaching with virtual classes, Zoom classes, it's just not quite the same. 
um, and is not the same value. And we also, because we're in San Francisco, our uh, demographic of our gym is a lot of younger people. Um, and many of them are in the service industry and are personally affected by this. So, you know, we, um, we understand that and we want to continue to offer, um, you know, classes and services that, that even those people can continue to enjoy, even though they're not able to pay right now. Um, because man, our sites are on reopening the gym and recreating, you know, or bringing our community back together. And if there's a way we can serve people who can't afford a gym membership right now, we're happy to do that. Um, so we're doing a whole group of classes and then, you know, the remainder of our 25% of our normal income is through virtual coaching. Um, and we really have not pushed a lot of in-home coaching. We're trying to really, as an organization, honor the spirit of the lockdown. Um, and by that, we mean actually not letting our coaches go into you know, people's homes to train, um, as we feel like that sort of breaks the spirit of the lockdown. But um, we have more recently allowed a few groups of clients, not more than three, to do um, some distant training in parks together with a coach. So we've tried to sort of be flexible um, whilst still honoring the lockdown and the, the point of the lockdown, which we, of course, totally support. Um, and then, you know, as I said earlier, we do a virtual happy hour twice a week for whoever in our community wants to join. We have an active, uh, pri active private Facebook group where our community members can connect. Um, you know, and then we, we've always had such a close community that I know our members are also independently connecting and supporting each other and, um, you know, meeting and hanging out on their own, however they do that. So I think our mission right now is do our darndest to serve our members right now, regardless of whether they can pay <laughs> and uh, just be ready to reopen with a bang when we reopen or if we reopen. Um, so that's kind of where we're at on that. Yeah, I think it's interesting because so I talked with Craig Howard last week and he was saying that as we start to think about reopening and all of that, that they're considering um, decreasing that membership payment, you know, just taking into consideration the state of the economy and all of that. And then hearing you even say like our default is to not charge our members and if they want to pay, or pay half like they can, I, I think that's a big deal. And I mean, man, if I, I feel like that is inciting in a lot of ways, loyalty and commitment. And these yeah. members are probably very grateful, especially in this hard time. So that's that's a huge deal, Juliet. That's not an easy decision, and but it needs to be commended because that is a big deal. And I'm sure your members are very appreciative of that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, we get it. You know, everybody is hurting and we have a lot of members who are, you know, all of a sudden under a totally unexpected financial pressure themselves. And, you know, it just it's something we can do for as long as we can do it. And as long as our staff is available and, you know, we um, we again, I mean, I really feel exceptionally um, grateful and that we've been able to pay our staff at their, you know, we haven't had to furlough any staff. We've been able to pay their, our staff as though they're working their full-time normal rate. Um, and so, so far, I think we really have sort of done our best to serve our members. It's, it's a challenge. 
for sure. And and I will say the other thing that's funny about our members is that a lot, we've also learned a lot of them are really independent. You know, they don't want to do Zoom classes or whatever. Um, even Diane Fu said, man, I've done such a good job of coaching my clients that, you know, they're just in their garage gyms, they're crushing it, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I will say you didn't ask this question, but it's been asked of me before and I, I would like to address it, which is, you know, there's been sort of this debate, like, well, after people get their home gym equipment and get used to working out at home and do these Zoom classes and they're all of a sudden have a rogue rig in their garage, are, are people not gonna come back to the gym? And my strong feeling is no. Um, I mean, I don't know whether that's true across all gyms, but man, the people at San Francisco CrossFit come there as much for community as they do for the workout. And that is sorely missed. I think people are realizing, man, they can get their workout on in a park with a heavy rock or at a beach or wherever in their living room if they have to. But that is not a replacement for interacting, connecting, competing, playing, all the things that do we do in an actual gym. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree that uh, I think virtual fitness will be a compliment. I don't think it will take over, especially in the affiliate industry. I do think the personal connections, both with other members and with coaches, are really valuable. And I think you're right. I think people are seeing how valuable that is that yeah. com- that actual in-person community, and so and that, that does bring up another question, Juliet. Just you know, we've we've talked about what you guys have been doing and what you've learned and all that. Have, what have you started doing in terms of thinking ahead, thinking of what's to come, whether that's for reopening, whether that's for um, you mentioned next winter, which you you've, I don't know if everybody's been thinking about what what the, the, this could happen again. So we might need to talk about that a little bit. Um, <laughs> but what what have you been thinking, you know, after? for after all of this? What have you guys been planning so far? Well, it's again, really hard to plan when we have zero info. Um, and so every day I wait for our governor to say, okay, it's July 1st. You know, for me, what would be a lot, you know, right now it's just an indefinite closure. And honestly, for me, even if Newsom comes back and says, hey, it's gonna be August 1st, to me, that would be easier than nothing. Right. Even if it's way longer than ever anyone anticipates, that would be more helpful than nothing. Right. Because then you can plan and or if we at least got some insight as to, OK, we're not going to tell you exactly when we open, when we reopen. But when we do, there will be these limitations. No more than gatherings of 10, no more than gatherings of 25, 30, 50. Right. Because those gathering sizes are going to make a gigantic difference in the gym business not just to my gym, but every gym. And that's, that's big, huge Globo gyms and Orange Theories and you name it, any gym or fitness facility is going to be really impacted by the gathering size limitations. Um, so, you know, we had a good laugh yesterday, actually, because for some reason, we, we think 10 might be the number when we first open, which in many ways is the equivalent of being closed, honestly, from a financial standpoint. Um, but we did have this idea, you know, you've, I think, been in our gym, but we had this idea of taking a gigantic plastic sheet and dividing our gym in two halves with a plastic sheet um, oh. so that we could have 20 people in the gym at a time um, yeah. and divide them into two totally separate groups. Um, you know, for us, if we could get up to gathering sizes of 30 or even better 50 then honestly, it's pretty much business as usual for us. I mean, 
of course we will comply with the social distancing requirements. Of course we are going to be cleaning more often and you know making sure that our members are cleaning their equipment and their hands and whatever we can do there so you know those things are a given like we will of course respect the social distancing rules as well as we can in the space and you know i don't know whether it's going to be required that people work out with masks on and we will of course follow that guidance um I think what keeps me up at night is the, 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 you know, hey, okay, you can open on July 1st and it's gatherings of 10. Um, that, that to me is a little stressful because while we could operate some private coaching, it would not, you know, it wouldn't do anything to really allow us to have meaningful class sizes and really bring back in a big membership. So I think that does keep me up a little bit at night. So again, I mean, I, I think I'm, you know, scenario planning in my mind, but I'm not doing any real planning because I can't without info, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So it, it does. And I think that's all we can do right now is think about scenarios and say potential <laughs> right. risks and say potential things, which for us planners, we do not like. So I, I am there with yeah. you, Juliet. Um, yeah. And I guess too, so you had mentioned just, you know, before we got on the call, you had mentioned, you know, thinking about this could happen again. Uh, yeah. This is, it's, it's a real probability. And I'm just kind of curious, maybe do you have any advice or even thoughts on that for owners who maybe haven't even given that uh, a thought of like, oh, this could happen again. And maybe I need to think about some things for next time. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to be a doomsdayer, but I think if this is going to be our reality for 18 months, and if if what some of the experts are saying are true, that this is going to be even worse next fall or winter, and we might be facing additional shutdowns, um, I first of all, honestly, to be super practical, would advise gym owners to like consider that in their doomsday planning scenarios, which I know everybody is doing. And what I mean by that is, okay, maybe you can weather a single shutdown, but can you weather two shutdowns? You know, mm -hmm. is it worth going into twice as much debt than you already are in order to keep your gym alive now? Um, I mean, unfortunately, I think you have to have some really hard conversations with yourself and your co-owners if you have them and some really hard look at your sort of financial health as a business um, and really say, okay, you know, it's one thing to weather one of these. Could I weather another one? You know, is it worth taking out a $300,000 loan? Um, I, I just, I think you can't not think about that, honestly. Like, I don't think in the face of potential future shutdowns, you can't think, is this a viable long-term business? I don't think any business owner who's worth their weight in salt isn't thinking about that. Um, so, I'm not sure that that's advice other than that it's something everybody should be thinking about. And it's definitely not something I want to be thinking about. I mean, it, it, uh, you know, I never ever thought I would be in the position of wondering whether owning a brick and mortar business made sense in the long term. I never would have thought that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that was helpful, Heather, but. <laughs> Well, I don't know. You're right. I don't know if it necessarily was like, here, do ABC. But I do think it is advice in the sense of this is something to to seriously consider. And I think your call is for our, our listeners to seriously consider that. Consider 
what would it look like if this happened again, which it very well might. We, we don't know. Um, and it could happen again within the next six months. We don't know that either. So I do think it's a good uh, actionable advice of just, you know, really consider it, give it some thought. So I do think we need to think about the future, not plan, because we can't plan, unfortunately. Right. But we can strategize and we can think about different scenarios. So, um, right. no, Julia, I think, that, right. I, think, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's worthy of a thought. It's, you know, I think um, as small business owners, we're often only thinking a month, two months ahead and not really sort of doing five-year planning. And, you know, what would make me sad is if, you know, a bunch of uh, gym owners, for example, went and cashed out all their IRAs and 401ks, you know, to save their businesses without really thinking through like, you know, is this a good long-term business, right? Um, so I think that there's a level of risk that that business owners should be willing to take on. I mean, I'll tell you my level of risk. Um, I have, a, again, I'm really lucky and I think almost probably very unique in the CrossFit gym space for having such a large cash reserve that I can use during this time. Um, and that is thankfully because I've always, Kelly and I have run our other business, Mobility Wad, now the ready state for all these years. Um, so I 100% uh, 100% appreciate we're in a unique position that many gym owners aren't. But I think, um, you know, everybody has a different level of tolerance for how much debt they're willing to take on in a business. My level of tolerance is not very high, I'll be honest. Um, I've run San Francisco CrossFit as a bootstrap business from the get-go. I've never borrowed, begged, or stolen a dime to run the business. It's always been in the green. Um, we don't have investors. It's just been Kelly and I running, you know, running it as a business, and it's always been a relatively low-margin business. Um, as our mission has been to, you know, pay our staff a living wage and actually treat them like professionals, as you and I have talked about on prior podcasts. But Man, you know, for me, my level of interest in taking on a big, huge loan that I have to service on a low margin business, a.k.a. a gym, is pretty low. So, um, you know, I'm going to have to do some really hard thinking um, if we have, let's say, another five months of closure here in California. Right. Because as much as man, this my gym is like my child. I love, I love that place. I love my staff. I love my coaches, my members. It feels like coming home every time I walk in the door. I mean, I cannot go on and on about how much I adore that place, but is it worth it for me to like put myself at personal financial risk and massive amounts of debt for it? I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's a hard question to answer but certainly one that we might all have to think about at some point. Definitely. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And hopefully uh, listeners, if, if you're hearing Julia, really hearing her, you'll give that some thought and you will uh, bring that to top of mind and really kind of dial down and ask yourself these hard questions. So, um, and then Julia, kind of, you know, wrapping up, just a final question for you. Um, advice what would be one piece of advice you you would give our listeners today uh maybe in all of this that you could say you know this is what i would i would want you all to know this is maybe what i've learned a top lesson or something what what would that be i think just communicate and be 100% transparent with your members and your staff um you know i know in business we're not all in the habit of like 
telling our members like this is how much profit the gym makes and this is you know this is where we make our money and this is where we don't make our money and this is how we pay our staff and and even with our staff you know i think some some gyms run with full open books we haven't always done that um and not because we have anything to hide just it hasn't been a practice we've taken up but um what i've tried to do both with our members and our staff is just say hey this is how it is and i have you know i've said look to my staff this is how much money we have in the bank this is how we're thinking about how we're going to spend it and distribute it. Um, you know, if, if, and then I've included them in all my own mental scenario planning. If we get a PPP loan, this is what it looks like. If we don't get a PPP loan, this is what it looks like. You know, if we open June 1st, this is what it looks like. If we open July 1st, this is what it looks like. So I just have really tried to be a complete open book as far as what's going on with the money side. Um, what's going on with the business side for our members, what the reality is that we're facing and what they can expect. And, you know, I certainly have some people waiting in the wings that have said, look, if this gets bad, like you give me a holler. Um, so man, transparency and honesty, because I, I, that's what I have tried to do. And I think my staff and our members have really appreciated it. Um, you know, I haven't really minced words. I've just said, look, this is really difficult. I know I'm not alone. Um, I know, all of you, both members and staff, are feeling great amount of stress in your own lives about financial, you know, financially and health-wise, and your families. And this is just a stressful time. And all I can do is share everything I know um, and just be as honest and transparent as I can. That's my advice to people. Yeah. No, I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, I also preach authentic authenticity often. So I think that's great, Juliet. No, I think that's really good. So, Hey, thank you so much. And to our listeners out there, uh, guys, Julie had a lot to say. She had a lot to offer, um, different ideas you can maybe take and just a lot of things to consider. Uh, she is a tough cookie and likes to ask hard questions. So <laughs> this is why I had her on here so she could ask us the hard questions and I wouldn't have to. So, uh, no, Juliet, seriously, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you today on the show and hopefully uh the owners listening can really take something away and survive this this pandemic and any pandemic to come so thank you heather you know i'm a huge fan of you as a human and a professional and it's always a pleasure to talk to you and that wraps it up for this episode of box talk if you liked what you heard or you have an idea of what you'd like to hear let me know by emailing heather at peakmedia.com peak spelled p-e-a-k-e as always, thanks for dropping in.